Sharks have survived four out of five mass extinctions, to my knowledge. And the reason that they didn't survive the fifth one is because it they didn't exist yet. So they have survived some of the most like cataclysmic events on the planet. And now we're seeing a huge decrease in their populations since we have become a thing. That is not a coincidence, you know? So... Welcome back to Knowledge Brews Supreme, the show that percolates your creativity. And it is I, your host, Dr. John Chansey, and I am back and better than ever. Before we begin today's episode, here's a quick ad from show sponsor Sleeve Sold Separately. Greetings. This is Dr. John Chansey, host of Knowledge Brews Supreme. And I'm here to tell you about one of my favorite products in the fitness game, our new show sponsor, Sleeves Sold Separately. Sleeves Sold Separately is a brand of athleisure clothing for men who train hard and also want to look good while doing so. The clothes that these wonderful folks make are an absolute game changer. Their products are designed and manufactured in the United States, out in Los Angeles, and they are shipped directly to your home. Sleeve Sold Separately offers a wide variety of athleisure clothing, such as the Wife Lover tank top, their classic sleeveless hoodie, their Lungeman shorts that come in both four and six inch seams, and so much more. My personal favorite from Sleeve Sold Separately is their take on the classic jogger bottoms, except theirs is called the Sprinter. Sprinters come in several colors. And even before they were a show sponsor of Knowledge Brew Supreme, I bought multiple pairs in black. I've got a gray pair, a teal pair of the Sprinters, and I wear these daily. Uh, So please check them out. Visit their website at sleevesoldseparately.com. My listeners of Knowledge Brew Supreme can get 15% off your order from Sleeve Sold Separately using the promo code KNOWLEDGE15. That's all one word, KNOWLEDGE15. So please check out Sleeve Sold Separately, use the promo code, and thank me later. Take care. Bye. On today's episode of Knowledge Brews Supreme, I'm joined by the one and only Jada Elcock. Jada is a PhD student in the MIT WHOI joint program. She is also the director of public relations for minority and shark sciences, also known as MISS. Her research is on shark movement ecology of basking sharks, In 2022, she was awarded the Nancy Foster Fellowship to support her PhD research. Uh, Jada received her BS in biology with uh, honor, university honors from Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. Just a quick aside in Arizona, that's to me one of the most underrated like cities in the in the whole US. It's so beautiful. Every time I drive through there, I'm like, can we just stop here? It's it's amazing. Uh, She has previously lived in landlocked states, but has still been able to gain experience with marine animals through an internship at Odyssey Aquarium in Scottsdale, Arizona. She also has been recognized as an American, uh, I I hope I don't butcher this, Alasma Branch Society Young uh, Professional Recruitment Fund Scholar. She is incredibly excited to help other underrepresented students light a fire within themselves to fuel a passion for marine sciences. So, uh, so anyways, kind of just a quick backstory real quick. I brought on a dinosaur expert, Dustin Groick in the past, not, I think uh, a few months ago, and he was kind enough to make some suggestions of other folks that I should invite on the show. And one of the, I think maybe Jada was at the top of the list. He's like, Hey, you talk to a dinosaur expert. You should also talk to a science expert. So my love for, for not only like movies like Jurassic Park that got me into dinosaurs, but Jaws that got me into sharks. I was like, yes, I absolutely have to have a shark expert on. So this worked out perfectly. So anyways, with all that said, welcome to the show, Jada. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you? 
I'm doing I'm doing awesome. I'm very cool. I'm like been so excited about this episode for a while. As as soon as uh, you agreed to come on, I started kind of writing up the questions. I've just been getting excited the whole time. Uh, I think I even I even watched Jaws within the last few months. So sharks have been on my brain uh, lately. So this is kind of perfect timing. Um, awesome. So yeah, yeah. So I think what I want to know is kind of to start with kind of your origin story as far as like coming to. Uh, want, wanting to study sharks because I know a lot of people like my wife for example like sharks are terrifying to her like when I watch Jaws I'm terrified I don't want to go in the water when I watch Jaws but yet they're so fascinating as far as creatures are concerned obviously Jaws is not the only representation of sharks uh, out there but so I'm curious how did you get into sharks like kind of where did you what made you kind of um, you know develop such a, a liking to this this particular species yeah, so I I feel like I've had some pretty decent character development throughout my lifetime. I started as a child being terrified of sharks. Um, I grew up in landlocked states and I was like, we, I think the first time I went to uh, like go to the ocean, um, I went to California. I think I was like 11. So I had never seen the ocean until that point. And I was like terrified on the beach. I was like, I'm going to get bitten by a shark. Chances are so unbelievably low, um, <laughs> but I feel like it's just like I started the way that a lot of people start. They're afraid of sharks. Um, they're large animals that are very strong and have sharp teeth. Like I totally get it, but I started to learn kind of more about them um, through just like watching a lot of like ocean documentaries and shows and stuff on like Animal Planet and things like that. Um, I was always like really curious about animals. I knew that I was going to go on to work with animals in some way when I was older like my brothers and I always would go outside when we were little and look for like scorpions and snakes and spiders and frogs and whatever we could find um and so the ocean just wasn't one of those environments that I had access to to be able to explore freely and so I think that's why I started getting more into like the shows and the documentaries and things um and the more I learned about sharks I was like oh they're actually not trying to eat people all the time and they're super important and also really cool. I want to learn more. And so I just kept asking questions and kept asking questions until it got to the point where science didn't have answers to my questions anymore. And I was like, I guess I'm a researcher now. I just kind of went into research and was like, I want answers. So, and it's funny because I, I get questions from people sometimes like, where do whale sharks mate? And I'm like, I don't know. They're like, aren't you a shark expert? And I'm like, yes, no one knows. That's the point. Like, that's the exciting <laughs> right. thing. Like, that's just, it opens up yeah. opportunity for like more research. So, um, and I just, I'm, I'm constantly like, I always want to learn. I love school. And so the idea that like for a career, I could just keep trying to learn new things like for a living was something very exciting to me. So I think that's kind of how I landed in shark science. Nice. Okay. So I'm curious, just kind of going back, I know I don't want to get too bogged down into a previous episode, but when I talked to Dustin about dinosaurs, he said there was sort of this like criteria for what makes a dinosaur in terms of like the structure and, and things like that is there something that like what is it how would you define a shark in a way that separates them or or from other things that live in the ocean for example like they're fish technically right but like what is it that makes them different from say just a regular old fish is it the size yeah. of the teeth or is there are there other defining qualities there's a couple things. So one of the biggest things is that their skeleton is made entirely of cartilage. They don't have any bones. Um, there's like, there's bony fish and then there's cartilaginous fish, but then within cartilaginous fish, there's other classifications. So you have chondrichthys as like cartilaginous fish in general. Then you have the subclass holocephali and those are your chimeras, like rat fish, um, ghost sharks, if you will, but they're not actually sharks. And then you have the other subclass elasmobranchii. So, um, hence the word elasmobranchs. Um, and those are your sharks, your skates, and your rays. So your skates and rays are uh, dorsoventrally flattened. So like from top to bottom, or like, I guess from from back to stomach, they're like flattened. Yeah, um, yeah. That's where you have like your little Roombas and your flat flaps and your little skate friends. Um, and then you have your sharks, which typically have a more like torpedo shaped body um, with like a like a stronger structured tail with like an actual caudal fin, you know, like that, that double lobed fin at the end of their body. Um, but there's, 
there's a couple sharks that are a little bit more flattened. So you have like your wabagong shark or your angel shark um, that are kind of flattened and look a little bit like rays, especially the angel sharks. Um, but I think a big distinction there is that uh, rays and skates have their gills kind of on the underside of their body um, and sharks have them on the side. So even angel sharks, even though they're flattened, their gills are still on the side of their body. So if you look at them from underneath, you're not going to see any gills. Uh, so that's kind of some of the classifications of, I guess, what you would call a shark. Oh, that's so fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So I think like great whites, for example, seem like they get a lot of attention. I mean, as far as like movies, pop culture, things like that, shark attacks, whatever. It seems like that's what a lot of people think of. Maybe that's their prototype when they think of a shark. Um and and you can totally answer that if that's the answer to your question, that's fine. But do you have a do you have a favorite shark? I do have a favorite shark, and it is definitely not the great white shark. That's um, what I figured. <laughs> they're I mean, they're objectively really cool. They're the largest sure. predatory fish on the planet. Like they're awesome, but they're they just get so much attention. And I don't I guess I don't want to think of it in like a negative light. I don't want to say that they're overrated, but every other shark is underrated. Um, so my favorite shark, I'm gonna say is the thresher shark. They're fascinating. They're so cool. So basically they have like uh, their caudal fin, like I said, their tail fin is uh, the upper lobe of it makes up about 50% of their entire body length. So it's crazy long. And what they do is they swim like really fast at a bait ball. And then they basically just stop on a dime and like scorpion whip over the top of their head to stun and kill any prey. And then they just kind of swim around and collect whatever's dead. And I'm like, it's a shark that hunts with its butt. Like that is so, they're so cool. I don't know. And their faces are hilarious because they always look a little bit terrified. Like, yeah. Like the friend that's way too afraid to ask for ketchup at McDonald's or something. I don't know. They're hilariously like scared and nervous all the time, but they're such cool animals. Oh, good answer. All right, cool. That's one I'm not very familiar with. So I'm glad you brought up one that, you know, kind of outside of my wheelhouse. That's cool. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think is cool about just studying animals, you know, I mean, I most of my studies are in psychology, which is looking at humans, but I think studying animals, we can also learn a lot about ourselves, humans, species, humanity, all that, all that fun stuff. Um, what do you think we can learn about sharks or excuse me, what can we learn about ourselves, for example, from studying sharks that might be unique compared to other, other species? That's a really good question. I would say, I think that it's, important to look at the reputation of sharks and kind of think of of ourselves in that like maybe as individuals but also potentially as like a society or a species or whatever we see sharks as like these villains and it's because we don't know a ton about them yeah and i think that that can have a lot of parallels towards humanity as well like when we don't know a person super well maybe we're wary of them whether it's like a certain group of people or like an individual or something like that. It's we, I, I think that it's, it's very easy to see them as the villain. Sure. We don't know anything about them, but the more you learn, the more you're like, Oh, like, you know, this person's not so bad. Like we actually have a lot more in common than we thought. Um, so I guess kind of thinking of them as, I don't know, a way of motivating ourselves to learn more about each other, be kind to each other, um, be kind to the planet. I think that I guess a more scientific answer is that sharks can tell us a lot about the ocean like and like the health of the ocean because uh, in a lot of places they're apex predators or meso predators like mid-level predators. They feed other animals and they feed on other animals. They can help regulate other populations, um, all kinds of stuff like that. So if you're seeing an area where sharks usually are, and suddenly you're seeing that there's not so many sharks anymore. Yeah. That is going to be a problem. And I think that then we need to look inwards and see what are potentially our effects on the ocean that is causing this like decrease in a predator population. Um, so being able to look at our own mistakes and, you know, wrongdoings for the earth and like all the things that we need to be doing better um, and look at, we can, we can kind of look at a couple different species, I'm sure, but definitely sharks. You can kind of look at them as like, I don't know, a way of seeing how are we actually affecting the ocean, especially if it's an area where we're like directly polluting it um, and things like that. So 
I guess, yeah, we can look at sharks as a way to see how we're affecting the ocean and the earth and the environment in general, and also a uh, motivation of how to better treat each other and just be nice to both each other and the earth. Sure, sure. I guess that's, I, I'm jumping a little ahead in, in terms of questions I want to ask, but you you mentioned something as far as like sharks and, and many areas are apex predators or some are kind of on the, they're pretty high up there as far as the hierarchy goes, um, especially things like great whites. You know, what are those, what are those threats to their existence as far as being apex? Is it us? Is it humanity? Is it pollution? Or are there anything else in the ocean that might be disrupting that ecosystem? Yeah, um, I would argue that it's probably us. <laughs> sharks have survived four out of five mass extinctions, to my knowledge. And the reason that they didn't survive the fifth one is because it they didn't exist yet. So they have survived some of the most like cataclysmic events on the planet. And now we're seeing a huge decrease in their populations since we have become a thing. That is not a coincidence, you know? Yeah. So. I think that it is, you know, people, I, I, a lot of people are afraid of sharks are afraid to go in the ocean and see a shark. And I would argue that I'm much more terrified. I think this is like similar to like a Sylvia Earle quote, but like it, I would be more afraid to go in the ocean and not see any sharks. Cause wow. I, I think people, people ask all the time, like, Oh, well, what would a world without sharks look like? And I'm like, I, my answer is always just, I don't know. And I don't want to know. We have no idea what kind of effects that would have on the ecosystem if you've lost all of these uh, incredibly important animals that fill all of these different niches. Cause there's over 500 species of sharks that we know of. They're obviously filling so many different roles within so many different ocean ecosystems. So to lose those would be terrifying in my, my humble opinion. Um, but I think that a lot of uh, like the threats are us, whether it's targeted fisheries or, um, bycatch from other fisheries like we're not catching them on purpose that's i mean it happens sometimes it happens with a lot of different animals and that's it's devastating and you know we try to have you know bycatch mitigation protocols and whatever for fishing and all that um there's also well i also want to make sure that i emphasize that um there is such thing as a sustainable shark fishery it's harder to do than a lot of other fish because they take a while to mature and reproduce and all of that um, so their populations are more susceptible to like over harvesting, sure. but it's possible to have sustainable shark fisheries and they exist. And also I want to always emphasize that we should not be demonizing populations that are using them, especially for cultural practices. There are many, um, island and indigenous communities that rely on the ocean for cultural practices, for survival, for everything. And so, we should not be demonizing any of those communities for doing the practices that are arguably so much more sustainable than the practices of like broadly the US, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the, those that, that just needs to be, I always like to make an emphasis on that. Um, but we are definitely, I would argue that we are the main reason that sharks are decreasing in their populations and it is scary to see. Um, but I know we there's there's so many researchers out there that want to learn more about them and we want to learn more about them before they disappear. So the more we learn, the more we can help them. And I think that that is a very positive way of looking at things. Um, just knowing that there's so many people out there dedicated to helping the sharks and the ocean and the world in general and trying to make things better and just trying to learn more and share that information with everyone else. And I'm happy to be one of those people. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm happy you're here to share this this wonderful information. I think this is this is amazing uh, stuff uh, you're doing research on, and and the organization we'll talk about later on in the interview as well. Really cool stuff. So I think you've probably addressed this a little bit now already, um, but I'm curious. Um, what do you think the biggest misconception just the general population has about sharks? Is it the aggression, the danger side of things, or are there other misconceptions people might have about sharks too? There's definitely a couple. I think the biggest and most impactful one is that like sharks are these like mindless killing machines and they're out to get anything that moves. And that's so not true. Um, you know, a lot of sharks are generalists and they'll eat kind of a variety of things, um, but a variety of things that occur naturally within their ecosystems, sure. not people. Um, like 
negative shark encounters do happen. Unfortunately, people do lose limbs or their lives. And that is incredibly unfortunate. No one is denying that. Um, but it's also important to recognize that that's not something that is common. You're more likely to be killed by a cow than a shark or a vending machine even, or struck by lightning like twice. Like that's, there's so many statistics. It's simply not likely to happen to you. Um, and it's because they don't understand us. They don't know what we are. I mean, usually bites happen because it's like an exploratory thing of they're like, what is this? I don't understand. And of, car of course they're like, similar to dogs they don't have hands to just like test things out so they bite things yeah. problem is they're bigger and stronger than us and have really sharp teeth so like doesn't always end well for the people um so, so i think that one of the biggest misconceptions is they're just like these mindless eating machines they'll eat anything that swims in front of them um but they have like incredibly cool and fascinating like uh sensory organs they've got like a lateral line system down the side of their body to feel um, pressure changes in water movement things. Um, they've got their ampullae of Lorenzini, which is an electroreceptor to sense the electromagnetic prey or the electromagnetic fields that like electricity that comes from prey, like hearts beating and things like that, muscles moving, all that kind of stuff. Like they can sense it with their face. Um, and that is so unbelievably cool. Um, so they are well adapted and very interestingly evolved to eat the things that they eat. And we are not one of those things. Um, <laughs> there's this other misconception that sharks have to keep swimming in order to breathe. And that is true for some sharks, but not all of them. Um, there are a lot of sharks that uh, I, we would call them buccal pumpers, which means that they have like the musculature to pull water in their mouth, push it over their gills in order to breathe. Um, so like nurse sharks can buccal pump. They sit on the bottom a lot. Uh, Wabagong sharks can do that. They also suction feed. So they just like pull water in their mouth really fast and prey comes in with it. And it's super cool to watch. I recommend looking up a video of it. It's awesome. Um, but then there are the sharks that do have to keep swimming in order to breathe, like the white shark or um, I believe the bull shark. Um, and those would be ram ventilators, which basically means they have to swim forward with their mouth, at least partially open in order to force the water over their gills to get the oxygen. So that's not the idea that sharks have to keep swimming to breathe is true for some sharks, but definitely not all of them. Oh, fascinating. Both of those are, are just, I mean, I'm getting educated here. I love this. These are things that I myself believed, at least, especially the, the swimming and, and breathing part. That's, that's wildly fascinating. Um, so now I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your actual research. So just if you can uh, tell me about your research endeavors, specifically when I was looking at kind of your profile, looking at some of the things you're studying, uh, what are what are basking sharks? What does that mean? And then if you can kind of maybe tie it all together, do you have kind of uh, postgraduate plans with your research? Do you want to go into academia? Are you wanting to continue this research? Kind of where are you looking to go with it eventually? Yeah, so I guess I'll answer the second part of that first. I don't think that I, I want to go into academia, but I do love teaching and educating people. And I love science communication. So I want to go into science communication. And I'm not exactly sure what that will look like. Um, I don't know if like Animal Planet hit me up if you want a fun TV show host. I don't know. Um, like that would be super fun or running like summer camps for kids, yeah. like science related summer camps for kids would be super fun. Um, just, I love science communication so much, but I would also love to continue doing research in some capacity. And again, I'm not exactly sure what that'll look like, but um, I'm only a second year student. So I still have some time to figure that out. Sure. Thank God. Um, but my research right now is yes, on basking sharks. So this is the second largest fish on the planet. Um, second only to the whale shark. They are also filter feeders. Um, unlike the whale shark, basking sharks are passive filter feeders. So whale sharks um, can pull water into their mouth to get plankton and everything, um, kind of like that buccal pumping that I was talking about earlier. Um, basking sharks don't do that. We call that uh, ram filter feeding. Same way as like ram ventilation. You have to like swim in order to have like with your mouth open to get water over your gills. They basically just swim around 
with their mouth open through a patch of plankton and get what they get. That's how feeding works for them. And I don't understand how they get as big as they do by feeding that way, but it works for them. So whatever. Um, and they're super cool. So they live kind of on like, uh, mostly in like coastal regions. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard about them being around like Ireland and Scotland. Um, people find them in pretty big numbers, pretty reliably, um, most of the year. I am on Cape Cod and we know that they're here in like the spring, sometimes during like the summer and the fall, but they're not nearly as easy to find. So I'm doing research on, you know, looking at like this Northwest Atlantic population where they're, what they're doing while they're out here in Cape Cod, um, migration, how that's affecting them. How do they do it? Why? All that kind of stuff. Um, because the population out here will travel down to like the Caribbean or sometimes down to South America or even past the equator, which for a long time we were like, this is unheard of. What are you guys doing? Like, I don't understand how, and and for a lot of that time, they're spending so much of their time from like 2000 meters to like a thousand meters, maybe a little deeper sometimes. And I'm like, what are you doing down there? You just disappear for a couple months and then you just like pop up in Brazil and then you disappear again and then you're back in Cape Cod and I don't I don't understand what's going on so basically my research is I guess trying to piece together some of those questions of what's happening why do you do these weird things yeah. what, what what do you do with your life that kind of thing because they're just as as a species they're kind of an enigma and everyone's like I don't know what's going on with you and I'm like I don't either but I want to know <laughs> I love it. There you go. Yeah, just simply, yeah, the unknown. It can be, can generate so much research. I mean, an unlimited line of research, I'm sure, just uh, trying to delve into those big picture questions. Yeah. All right. So I think this would be a good time to go ahead and take uh, a quick break here from our second uh, sponsor of the show, Barnana Snacks. We're going to come back. I want to ask Jada some more questions about sharks, some of the research, some of the things she's doing uh involved with sharks and shark sciences so uh hang tight we'll be back in just a moment all right so my wonderful sponsors at barnana chips were so kind uh to send me a care package with some wonderful snacks and wonderful chips of various kinds different snacks to try and i've been saving one for a while that i've been been dying to try and it's the organic plantain chips spicy mango salsa their kettle cook style chips so i'm gonna do a live uh first try a live taste uh and you can get my instant reactions to these chips i've been dying to try these chips so here we go open up the bag and give a smell test Ooh, ooh, i can smell the the sweetness the the, the spiciness okay here we go first chip Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I like that a lot. There's the flavors a little subtle. The spice is kind of subtle, but you can taste the sweetness of the mango right away. But that spicy mango kind of the salsa, um, kind of creeping up in the back. I can feel the spice in the back of my, the back of my mouth right now. It's really good. Um, it's not overpowering the mango, the sweetness, but the salsa taste together not overpowering, but a nice kick, you know, um, be good to have a glass of water with these, but I'm not feeling like, oh my God, I absolutely have to rush out and drink a glass of water right now. I like that, that subtle spice, uh, and it combined with the sweetness. So let me give another chip. Good stuff. Good stuff. So check these out They're Barnana spicy mango salsa their kettle style chip it's fantastic i would give it like an 11 out of 10 i don't know is that fair but check it out thanks barnana all right so we are back uh on knowledge brew supreme i'm talking to jada elcock she is a shark expert uh talking about all things sharks today so i I, one of the things I noticed about your biography was that you mentioned coming from a landlocked state. I'm from Oklahoma, I live in Oklahoma, also landlocked. 
Um, a lot of lakes, but you know, I've not really any places for sharks to uh, to roam. So I'm curious, like, why should folks like myself or just people who live in landlocked states, which is a huge part of the United States, um, for example, like, what? Why should why should folks like that worry or care about sharks in general? Kind of make the case for uh, for sharks for people who may never see one besides you know on their television screen or their phone or whatever. Yeah, um, I think I touched on that a little bit earlier, but I think that we as people like to think of us as so disconnected from nature, and especially if we live in landlocked states, so disconnected from the ocean. And that is, I think, a dangerous mindset because it gives you the option to not think about it and not care. And when we start to do that, things we start to do things that are detrimental to the environment. And if they're detrimental to the environment, they will be detrimental to us. So like I said, we like to think of ourselves as so disconnected, but what's happening to the ocean will come back to bite us in the butt. If we're seeing warming oceans, you know, we're going to see the things that we're doing that are affecting sharks, like overfishing. Do you like seafood? Great. Maybe we should protect the stocks of of fisheries that we currently have so that we can continue to enjoy seafood into the future without collapsing these populations. Um, And, you know, do you like a coastline? Wonderful. Let's not heat the ocean to the extent where we have drastically rising sea levels. You know, these, all these kind of things that will affect sharks, those are definitely going to affect us no matter where you live. and no matter if you think that it's not going to affect you, I promise you it will at some point. Um, so I guess the biggest reason, um, besides just inherently caring about the environment and respecting the fact that they have been on the planet for like 450 million years and saying we shouldn't be the ones to make them go extinct. Um, if that's not enough, that's fine. But remember that what we do to them will come back to us. Um, And so if you need like a personal motivation to do right by the planet, you know, vote well with your dollars and with your actual votes and, you know, doing what you can to protect the environment. um, There is, there's a, there's a selfish part of that as well of like, well, I want to be able to enjoy seafood and go to the beach and I want my kids to be able to enjoy these things. Um, So I guess that would be kind of like a couple of reasons that we, even if we never see a shark in person, those are some reasons that we should probably care about protecting the sharks and the ocean as a whole. Sure. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't have said any better myself. So um, less serious question. Maybe you, you might've answered this already when you said the, the thresher shark is your favorite, but I'm curious uh, if you were a shark, what kind of shark would you be? Ah, that's such a hard question. Um, I guess I would say maybe a bonnethead shark. So this is one of the smallest species of hammerhead sharks. If you didn't know, there are 10 species of hammerhead sharks. The bonnethead is one of them. They're so small and cute. They're only about like five feet long. Um, They are also the first ever discovered omnivorous shark species. The whale shark was then also identified as an omnivorous shark species um, because the whale shark is like actively eating sargassum, which is a type of seaweed. Um, And bonnetheads do the same thing with seagrasses. So while they're eating like crustaceans and stuff in the seagrasses, they're also purposefully eating seagrass and they have like the microbes and things in their bodies to be able to digest and get nutrients from seagrass, which is like, we think of sharks as these like hyper carnivorous things. And the idea that like, there's some that enjoy a salad from time to time, I think is really cute. Um, but so they're little, they're goofy. They're a little feisty sometimes, like, you know, when you're doing a workup, um, they're, I don't know. I just think that they're really cool. And most of my friends, like their favorite shark is the bonnethead. Um, so maybe a bonnethead or, or my other option would be the pocket shark, which is one of the world's smallest sharks. Um, they live in the deep sea. They're like jet black and they're bioluminescent, but not in the same way that like a lantern shark is bioluminescent. So lantern sharks have, I mean, they glow in the dark, which is awesome already, but um, they have like these uh, bioluminescent patches like on their stomachs as a way to kind of counter shade. 
um, making sure that it's harder to see them from below as they blend in with the light coming from above and then blend in from the top with the dark below. But pocket sharks do something different where they basically expel bioluminescent goo from like what I guess the equivalent of like their armpit, like underneath their pectoral fin. And it's like, I would assume, I'm not exactly sure if this is true, so don't quote me on this, but I, I would hypothesize that it is for like predator evasion, kind of like an inking squid, um, but they're in the deep sea and it's bioluminescent. And so it's just like this glowing glob of goo as they swim away in the water. And I'm like, that is the weirdest thing, but I have so much energy. Um, I don't know, maybe I just like, that's that, the, the bioluminescent goo is a representation of my energy. And I'm just like, energy for everyone. Ah, I don't know. <laughs> that's Maybe that's my, my thing. So, All yeah. right. Great answers. I love it. Um, I want to know more about another thing, you know, project or a group you're involved with. It's called the Minorities and Shark Sciences or MIST. Tell me about that group. What, how did you get involved? Maybe generally, what is the organization? What are they attempting to do? And again, how did you get involved with this group? Yeah, so Minorities and Shark Sciences is an organization dedicated to supporting women and gender minorities of color in the field of shark science, which sounds kind of niche, and it's because it kind of is. Um, but basically, me and three other Black women in the field of shark science co-founded the organization. Um, it's me, Amani Weber-Schultz, Jasmine Graham, and Carly Bohannon. We found each other on Twitter. All of this started on Twitter in the middle of the pandemic. So during 2020, obviously there was this, I mean, there has been since then and before then, but a lot of civil unrest, especially after the whole George Floyd event. Um, there was a black man also just bird watching in a park and a white woman had her uh, dog off leash. And when he asked, can you please put your dog on leash? Your dog is disrupting the natural environment she threatened to call the police and she was obviously weaponizing the police against this black man. And it was incredibly disappointing to see. And so it started, it sparked this like movement on Twitter, um, a hashtag black in nature of like, hi, black people also like to be outside and enjoy natural spaces. Shocker. We are people and we enjoy the same thing as you guys do. I don't know. Um, and so a lot of people were posting like a lot of scientists, a lot of, uh, recreational outdoorsy people were posting under this hashtag black in nature of like I like to bird watch I like to go kayaking I like to go hiking um and I think it was Amani and Carly I might have that wrong but a couple of us were posting under that hashtag um and Jasmine saw those posts and was like wait a minute there's other black women in shark science I thought I was the only one so she reached out to them and then they reached out to me and we're all like, all right, the four of us, we want to start a group. What do, what do we do? And we were like, let's hop on a Zoom call. And two weeks later, we had launched an organization. Um, and it, it honestly, I think that the hardest part was finding a name. There were so many acronyms that we were testing out and they were all terrible. And we landed on this and we were like, this is good. Um, but so we basically provide um hands-on like shark science opportunities for women and gender minorities of color um because typically shark science has been a very white male dominated field um a lot of us have been to conferences and felt like completely alienated feeling like we're the only person that looks like us in a room full of our colleagues and we were just kind of sick of it so we're like we're going to start this organization it's going to be a community um we're going to be able to network we are going to you know, create a safe space um, for people that look like us. Uh, so we create these opportunities because it's also been a very pay to play field. And we are all aware that in the US, a lot of the times um, minorities come from underserved backgrounds and don't necessarily have the means to participate in all of these, like, like I said, pay to play opportunities. So for our opportunities, we cover travel and lodging and food. Um, if it's a longer opportunity, like a month or two long internship, we provide a stipend as well um, to offset the time that you would not be working during that time. Um, we have uh, like professional development and 
fun social webinars that we do with our members, um, which is difficult to do because we have, I think, over 400 members in like 30 different countries. So the time zones are a disaster to try and figure out, but we do sure. our best. Um, but yeah, we, we're just, you know, working really hard to create a community. And um, I, I think that we have been able to make a real difference and we've been able to not only give our members a platform and a voice to share their science and be recognized for all the hard work that they do, but also then those scientists that are sharing their work are then examples for younger kids that look like us to say, this is an option for you. If you want to go into science, you can do it. Look, there's people that look like you that have already done it. Um, so like, we believe in you, we're here to support you kind of thing. So it has been a wild ride. We will be celebrating our third anniversary this year on June 19th, because in the black community, obviously that is an incredibly important yeah. thing. So excited yeah. that it's now recognized as a holiday. Um, so yeah, it's been a wild ride, but it's been amazing. And it's, it's, it's really cool to not only be a part of something like this and to be able to get to know all of these amazing scientists, but also to be able to say that I got to help create this thing um, is something that I'm very proud of. So that is kind of a, an overview of Miss. I love it. Keep up the great work. That is, that's just doing some amazing stuff, not only in the scientific community, but just kind of, you know, broadening people's understanding of inclusivity and just all kinds of wonderful things. There's so many layers of just awesomeness to this, this uh, program. Thank you. Thanks. Started. Yeah, of course. Um, so I have a, a less serious question, but I have a shark expert here, so I've got to know. Uh, does the movie Jaws, does that still have the title belt for shark movies, or are there any other contenders you might throw in there? I think more current, we've got like The Meg, we've got Deep Blue Sea, we've got the Sharknado movies. Are there any other movies that might vie for that title, or do you, do you think Jaws is, is the best movie, or is there another one you might go with? Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, so obviously Jaws is super like, I mean, it's inaccurate for many reasons. <laughs> sure. But it also like just adds to the fear, which I don't love. But of course it's like a classic movie. So I'm not going right. to like touch too hard on it or anything. Um, the Meg is ridiculous. It's very fun for a monster movie because you know that it's ridiculous, but like never should it be taken seriously in literally any way, shape or form. Um, if you didn't already know this, or if you currently think that the Megalodon is alive, I promise you it is super extinct. It does not live in the Mar Mariana Trench. It was a coastal species. We would know if it was still around. And if it evolved to live somewhere else, it is no longer a Megalodon. So oh. the Meg's dead. Like, it's gone. Every tooth that we have found of a Megalodon is fossilized, which means that they've been dead long enough for their teeth to fossilize. They're gone. So I hope that either brings you comfort that there's not a 60 foot predatory shark living in the ocean. Um, and if I just shattered your dreams, I'm so sorry, but it needed to be. Um, I remember watching Deep Blue Sea, but I don't remember like any of the details except for when the shark came out and grabbed Sam L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. That, and when LL Cool J survived at the end, because I mean, it's like a thriller whatever kind of movie and I was like oh my gosh they didn't kill off one of the black characters and my mom's response was you can't kill off LL Cool J he's LL Cool J and I was like so my mom really likes LL Cool J I, guess. Sure. I don't know um but I remember watching that one and then being afraid to go in our uh pool in our backyard for like a week after that I again this was in the, the phase when I was still afraid of sharks because I was a kid um sure. There's also this movie that I believe is called Jersey Shore Shark Attack. And it is the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like the shark, if you've ever seen SpongeBob, it looks like the Alaskan bullworm. Like the CGI is so bad and it looks so drastically different from one frame to another. I don't know. It was on the sci-fi channel once and I was watching it and like could not stop laughing because it was so bad. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe, and I've never seen any of the Sharknado movies and I have no plans to because it's ridiculous, but sure, sure, I sure. I guess Jaws would still be like the best shark movie. Sure. 
I don't want to say that it's accurate because it isn't, but like for a thriller type of like monster movie, it's a good movie. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And especially, I guess, like the effects for its time, I'll give them that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Bruce. The name of the shark was Bruce. Yeah. Animatronic shark, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I would say maybe the best uh, shark adjacent movie, um, Finding Nemo. Great. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. The only. The only thing that bothers me about the sharks is that they're all male sharks, but none of them have claspers, which are the reproductive organs of the male sharks. Interesting. I think that they, I can't remember if they like, I heard stories about, cause I, I know someone who was like one of the biological like consultants for that movie. Um, I'm sure that the claspers looked horrifying. So they were like, mm, no, but no. they're male sharks and they don't have claspers. That is like my only my only big issue with Bruce and his friends, because he's also named Bruce. Yeah, um, yeah, probably an homage to the job. Yeah, I think that it yeah. was. But I mean, great film. They also have a uh, Amanda Ray in there, Mr. Ray. He's great. Or wait, yeah. is he a devil? Or is he, I can't remember if he's a Manta Ray or if he's an Eagle Ray. I think he's an Eagle Ray. Anyway, Finding Nemo is a great film. You should watch it all the time. <laughs> of course. There you go. That's a good answer. Um, this is not sharks, a shark question, but I'm just curious because I, I happened to stumble upon an article uh, one morning that shows that there have been uh, orcas apparently have been attacking people's boats, I think specifically off the coast of Spain. I don't know if it's happening elsewhere, but do you have any thoughts or concerns about these recent uh, attacks by orcas? Does that pique any curiosity from a, a shark expert? It does. Um I will approach this from two separate angles. First is the human angle. Um, Obviously, this is dangerous for people. Sure. And that is sad. And I we definitely don't want to see bad things happen to innocent people. That being said, this is hilarious. (laughs) This is literally just an ocean uprising. And orcas being as intelligent as they are, are like, we know what to do now. This is a learned behavior. Like this is definitely not something that they were like, that is instinctual in them. Sure. So this is learned behavior of them being like, we're sick of the people we are rising up and they're sinking boats. <laughs> you can't tell me that's not cool, man. Like I, 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 it's also fascinating that I've seen so much of this on Twitter. Every single tweet I have seen is either a meme or people siding with the orcas. <laughs> not a lot of pro boaters out there. Not that's not the side you want to take on this. It it seems. I mean, I'm. I think my Twitter feed is biased at this point. It's mostly Maybe. scientists and like <laughs> environmental people. But I mean, it's fascinating to see. So I'm interested to see like what continues to happen and how this story continues to develop. Is it going to spread elsewhere? is that behavior going to like die with the orcas that eventually like have learned this behavior as they eventually pass away? I hope that we don't turn this into, Oh, let's go kill all the orcas that are doing this because that would be devastating. And also probably a positive feedback loop of, they would probably just continue to keep sinking boats. So let's not try that. I don't think that would work out in our favor. So I don't know. I guess I'm just really interested to see how this, how this progresses um, and who is going to reign supreme. I wonder if they're just like, what if we just don't take boats out in Spain anymore? <laughs> and they just like go somewhere else. I have no idea. So be it'll be interesting to see. One, one, uh, one nothing for the orcas, it seems like, if that were to happen. Yeah. All right. A uh, couple more questions. Not very serious, but definitely want to give you an opportunity to maybe plug some some of the wonderful stuff you're doing. So how can listeners of Knowledge Brew Supreme, how can they find all of your wonderful shark related content? Or maybe if they want to find out more information about uh, minorities and shark sciences, how could they how could they do that? Yeah. So if you're interested in following along with Miss and our mission, um, you can check out our socials. The handles are just miss underscore Elasmo, M-I-S-S underscore E-L-A-S-M-O. I have a hard time spelling without actually writing it out. You know what I mean? Um, 
Our website is also just misselasmo.org if you're interested in looking at some shark related content and like learning more about sharks. Um, we have a program called Gill Guardians, and that's also on our website where it's totally free, especially if you're a teacher, if you want to, you know, bring some of that that uh, curriculum into your, your classroom. Um, we have ways that you're able to do that. So check us out on our website. Check us out on the socials, all the socials. Um, if you're interested in following along with me and my research journeys and science communication and all that fun jazz, um, you can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at SoFishDication. Um, and then on Instagram, it's sophistication underscore because someone already had the name. Um, but yeah, I guess that's that's where you can find me and my organization. Wonderful. I'll, I'll be sure to include some of those links in the show notes. so People can easily find uh, you and the wonderful organization that you're a part of. Um, less serious question, but I ask everybody who comes on the show, what are you watching? What are you reading or listening to these days? Any content? It can be shark related or not. Anything you're just excited about uh, content wise? Yeah, actually. So um, I am currently watching The Legend of Korra for the first time. I've seen Avatar The Last Airbender and I loved it so much like as a kid. And I just get so attached to characters like so immediately that I'm like, well, now most of those characters are dead. And I'm like, I don't I'm so afraid to watch Korra. And I've seen some spoilers and I'm like not happy about it. And I'm uh, I'm trying to go into it with the mindset of like, it's a different show. Like it isn't the same thing as Avatar and that's fine. It's not supposed to be. And I am really liking it so far. I like Avatar more and maybe that's a nostalgia thing. Um, but I do really like Legend of Korra so far. I just finished the first season. Um, I don't know what else I'm watching. I don't know. I listen to a lot of different types of music. I'm the kind of person that listens to everything except for country music. Um, <laughs> But I mean, you could catch me listening to Frank Sinatra one day and then like Avenge Sevenfold the next day. And like, I don't Lizzo on the third day. It does. It's it, I'm all over the map, but I don't know. I guess that's kind of kind of what I got going on. Nice. OK, good answers. I love it. All right. Well, that's going to wrap this episode of Knowledge Brew Supreme up. Thank you so much to Jada Elcock for joining me today. Please check out, follow her on Twitter, TikTok, check out Miss, go to the website, check them out on the socials as well. They're doing wonderful research about sharks. Uh, links to everything will be in the show notes. This is episode 76 of Knowledge Brew Supreme. My goal is to get to 100. Uh, I'm only 24 away from that goal. So thank you for listening. Please share and subscribe. Be good, be safe, and peace out.